Today we go to Exodus, chapter 19, and verses 1 through 6. Exodus 19, 1 through 6, continuing in our series, God's plan for God's people. Six verses today, as Israel gathers at Mount Sinai to receive the law from God. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Lord, may you add your blessing to the the reading and the hearing, now the preaching of your word. May you make it be that our hearts have a place ready and willing to process, to be challenged, to repent, and to obey. Lead us, Lord, in this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Part of this uh, series that we have been going through step by step, just in case you're wondering how long are we going to continue to do this, (laughs) a couple more weeks in the Old Testament. Uh, Next week, Doug Knox will be looking at Psalm 67. We'll do one more passage in the Old Testament. We'll get to the New Testament and some foundations of making disciples and seeing God's word go to the nations. It's his plan for his people, is for the word to go to the nations. And and part of what we've been doing in this is, uh, I want you to know part of my motivation, I've been sharing some statistics with you as a part of this. In 1900, about 2.5% of the world's population had an active relationship with Jesus. About 2.5% in 1900. In 1970... That number had doubled to 5%. And we would praise the Lord to say that there are more people uh, that were coming to Christ during those seven decades. By 2010, four decades later, anybody remember the number? 12%. Okay? Had more than doubled in another 40 years. And so we're able to look at that and say, we know the Lord is working. We know over the last century or so, He has been working in ways He hasn't before. But we also know that 12% minus 100 is 88%. And that's a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And I pray that as we look through these principles of discipleship for the nations, that we would each see our role and be challenged to obey. Exodus 19 gives us some amazing insight into what God has done and how he wants to work, how he intends uh, to work. So let's look first today at how God saves. First of all, we say that God saves by his strength. 
on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. So this is about, if you do your research, this is about 50 days after God had worked the mighty miracle of the Red Sea, where the sea parted and the people went through on dry land. And uh, you, you see in verse 4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. God is speaking. He is making it clear the things that he did to the Egyptians. Uh, let's see a couple of them. Uh, let's go back here. Exodus 14, verse 13. Uh, God had told Moses, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And later on in that chapter, did God make good on that promise? (laughs) The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled into it and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. We see God predicting that he would work by his power. He had told Moses in the face of uh, some uh, seeds of rebellion among the people, why did you bring us out here to die? He said, stand firm. You'll see the Lord's deliverance. You'll see the mighty power. You'll see the work. And then uh, later on in Exodus 14, we see that's exactly what God did. Uh, If you want another reference, uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, deals specifically with how God worked against the arrogance of the leadership of Egypt at that time. And so by God's strength, overriding the strength of man, the well-known and the powerfully led government of Egypt, God was bigger than all of it. God is a God of power and strength. In the New Testament, we see that the power, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same same that lives in us. It's power. God is a God of power and might. And so while you might not see God parting the Red Sea today, know that God works in power in people and he changes lives. That hope is for all of us. That hope is for anyone who will turn to God. You can experience a great and mighty and powerful God. Second, we see that God saves for personal relationship. We see a God that wants to do things in a way that shows that he knows us. Here is this image in verse 4. You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, I'm not a scholar of uh, eagles. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about, um, about animals, especially ones that fly. But what I do know is that when God says he bore them on his wings, that it was a mechanism that eagles used to help their young to be able to learn to fly. We'll return to that in a minute, but I want to show you from uh, Deuteronomy 32 This illustration kind of gets fleshed out a little bit more. You see in the middle there, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings and catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. This is a reminder to us that the nation of Israel would have been nothing without the might and the power of God. 
It is a reminder to each one of us that we are nothing without the grace and the power and the personal provision that God can provide. He desires personal relationship. In no way do we see Israel in here being congratulated for their fine work in earning the miracle of the Red Sea. In the same way, we should never congratulate ourselves or pat ourselves on the back that Jesus uh, was so impressed by our accomplishments that he went to a cross and died for us. No, it's the grace of God. It is a free gift. It is God's work and the way that he moves. It's how he saves. Now, it's personal in the sense that we enter individually, but Israel here is a whole nation. And when we enter in as individuals in 2020, in New Testament times, we enter into the the worldwide church. We enter into the kingdom of God. Something that is moving, something that is bigger than this local church or the city of Akron. It, It is worldwide that people even today who are believing in Jesus for the very first time would enter in as an individual by faith, but are also entering in uh, to that larger picture. Same thing we see in Exodus. God had plans for the people as individuals. He knew them personally, but he points to his grace. He wants the same for us. He values both you as a person, as an individual. He values his church all over the world. What a thrill! Now, that's how God saves. Take some time to let that sink in. Go back and look through some of those scriptures. Uh, We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at God's purpose for saving. God's purpose for saving is for his glory. First one we want to look at. I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I'm still in verse 4. If you're circling a highlight verse of this passage, man, we're, getting, we're squeezing a lot out of verse 4 right now. But I, he says, I brought you to myself. Verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, it, it eliminates personal pride when you serve another's glory. I want to take you back into their culture and what they would have understood. Nations around them who may have read this account may have had a leader who had been chosen by some god that they worshipped and they would have affirmed that, that false god's role in choosing that leader, but never would they have been able to relate to, to the one true god choosing an entire nation. But that's what he's doing, and he's doing it for his plans and for his purposes. Not just one ruler, not just Moses, but the whole people, as the language clearly shows us in the beginning of Exodus 19. It's a really powerful image. Show of hands. Anybody in here ever worked in a, or currently work in a call center? Made phone calls, uh, raising funds or selling something? Okay, a couple of you. I did this for uh, one of my summers in college, and there was always this tension in the call center. They trained you, you had your script, you had to do what you had to do, and uh, I made a base hourly wage, but the goal was to make more money in bonuses by raising more money on the phone. Now, here's what made it all, the, all this tension. So you're kind of competing against each other with the other people in the call center to try to do better than they are. 
But before you go out to the phones, the, the leader of the room gets up and says, well, I'm the supervisor, and on this, this current you know, hour and a half or two-hour shift that we're going to be on the phones, here's our goal. And there's this natural tension where, you know, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to try to look out for myself and make my money and my bonus, or am I supposed to play into the goal of the room? Right? How often does the individual employee really care about the overall goal of what's going on? Like, I'm just trying to make my money and get my bonus. And here they are telling me they want the overall goal to do this. You see where I'm going with this? When God says, I bring you to myself, that you would obey my covenant, we're not worried about our bonus and our paycheck. Now, I do believe God is just, and I believe there will be rewards in heaven for us, and I believe that those things will happen. But the goal of us living our lives is for God's glory, and second, for our obedience. God makes that clear. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then, right, if then, if you will uh, indeed obey... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Now this if-then language uh, might confuse us just a little bit. Uh, Obedience was Israel's goal. It was definitely conditional. Uh, Their success and prosperity was tied to their ability to keep the covenant. We know uh, that they, they didn't. Uh, as a whole, keep the covenant. At times they were very faithful, but overall uh, they didn't. And God still brought a remnant. Uh, the, the point of us uh, seeing this covenant is not to dismiss its might or its power. Is, is for us to learn that by the rules alone and by our own strength, we can't do that. It pointed forward to another redeemer. It pointed forward to Jesus, one who could perfectly obey the law. And so our call, since Jesus has come to fulfill the law, is to follow Jesus. In the same way that God would call the Israelites to obey on uh, Mount Sinai, Exodus 19, he calls us to obey. So uh, if we follow the Israelite story, uh, just because we commit to Jesus, does that mean that we're off the hook? That we can just kind of do whatever we want and the grace of God will always be there to us? Uh, I can just go and do whatever I want and I'll be forgiven automatically. Yay! No, I'd like to see a few more heads doing this right now. (laughs) No, that's not how it works. God calls us, as he called the Israelites, to obedience, and it's something for us to consider. I have a graphic up here I want to show you. Uh, This is called the three circles. I'm sure now you know why it's called the three circles. Um, I won't go into the entire thing. The upper right circle uh, displays the, and talks about the brokenness of our world. The left circle talks about a perfect relationship with God, which we believe can happen in eternity. We see that that's destroyed by sin, and the question becomes, what do we do in the meantime? Derek, are you coming? He's coming. Derek's not a big fan of mine right now, so I asked him to do this. But Derek's been learning a little bit about the, the three circles. Go back real quick. Uh, Derek's going to explain to you this bottom circle of how we get from brokenness in this world to peace from God. So let's see the big picture here. There it is. All right, so part of God's plan was to send Jesus down to earth. So when he sent him down, you have their arrow going down to earth, where then Jesus then died on the cross for our sins because of the brokenness. So when you have the cross. Then after he died on the cross, Jesus arose from the dead three days later, so you have the arrow pointing back up where he arose. Now you have the crown on top of the circle, 
because Jesus should be the authority of our life. So if you go back to the other diagram, you can see Jesus, God tells us that if you turn repent from the brokenness, and if you look towards Jesus, if you believe that Jesus came down, died for our sins, and he rose from the dead, if you make Jesus the authority figure of your life, then you will have the eternal life and go back to God's plan, the love, the heart, and the first circle. Awesome. Less than a minute. I told Derek, be an extrovert for one minute. Good job, Derek. Thank you. Obedience. Learning to obey in representing the good news of Jesus to the nations. I'm so glad Derek was willing to do that. That's one of the tools that we're going to have a chance uh, in some of the other training we're going to do this year to learn specifically how to do that. But I want to see, I want you to see the point in that, in that circle. Uh, Derek did a great job of bringing out that crown. Sometimes when I draw the crown, it looks like Bart Simpson's hair or something. They had a really good crown on there. It looked really nice. Uh, But it is, it's about Jesus being our authority and we don't come to him, we don't put our faith in him without intending to obey. That's the same thing we see in Exodus 19. God called them to obedience. Why would an eagle carry its young on its wing if it didn't intend it to fly? All it's trying to do then is just give it a free ride. (laughs) If it's not intended to do anything, if it's not intended to obey, obey, then all the little one does is just get a free ride the whole time. No. The goal is that they fly. The goal is that they, they, they obey on their own and they're taught to do that. All right. So get that in, in our hearts and our minds uh, about obedience. Lastly, then for the nations, God said, you shall be to me, verse 6, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, a holy nation among all the nations. Now that was just Israel, right? They were going to be a kingdom of priests And they were going to be a nation which represented themselves to the world. No, in the New Testament, we see the exact same language in 1 Peter. Look at how he talks about the worldwide brotherhood and sisterhood of believers. You, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And that race and that priesthood and that possession has absolutely nothing to do with how our society or a sociology textbook might define race and possession. It has everything to do with who God is bringing to himself by faith. Why? Why are we a priesthood? Why is every single believer a part of the priesthood of believers and given a role? Why? That we would proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that? even echo back to Exodus where they came out of the darkness of Egypt and eventually into the light of the promised land. And it brings us back to where we've been in this series. We've seen God's intention in creation and after the flood and in Abram in chapter 12. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God would use Adam and Eve. God would use Noah and his sons. God would use Abram and his family to be a blessing to fill the earth and for the nations. It's a pattern that continues now in Exodus. A couple more of these, like I said earlier, not for the sake of monotony, but for the sake of knowledge, having a full understanding of what the Bible says about God's purposes and plans for his people. These promises are good right outside of this building on these streets. They're good in Akron, Ohio. They're good in Summit County in the United States of America, they're good all over the world. 
We are the nations that God meant when he talked about Abram and Israel. We are the beneficiary of those extended promises. That's who we are. We are welcomed in because all of this has come to fruition in Jesus. The promises are good for us. A couple challenges. One, if you don't know Jesus today, you don't have a relationship with him, commit yourself to Jesus. Make him the authority of your life. And don't do so because of anything that you have to bring. Trust that Jesus died in your place. He paid the penalty before God that all of our sin richly deserves. We deserve to die. But Jesus stood in our place. He suffered instead of us. We can give him praise and thanks. And that's how we enter into this relationship with God. But we don't want to enter in without considering obedience and how our obedience can fill the earth with God's glory, God's plan for God's people. One challenge. If you know Jesus this morning... You're thinking, churning about those stats. There's about 90% of people in Akron, Ohio, who don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe one time this week, maybe you're a teenager. You're thinking about one of your friends or somebody you haven't seen in a while. Maybe you have an elderly neighbor or a family connection or just a random person that you see in the store or uh, on your street. Maybe one time this week, we'd reach out. We would take a step of faith and say, Lord, I want to obey. I want the truth of Jesus to be known. Maybe even ask a question. Could Jesus be a worthy authority in your life? You think that's possible? I've been learning about obedience and I want to try to follow him. Do you think he could be a worthy authority in your life? Maybe one time this week, you'd pray about an opportunity. One step of obedience, one person at a time, is how the world gets filled with God's glory. God's plans for God's people, may we feel in our hearts a real urgency, but also have a real way that we can step out in faith, one by one, one at a time.